0: Our Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus we come. We are grateful. We are thankful for every heaven given opportunity to know and share Jesus. Thank you that you've called us to be witnesses, lights in a dark world. Would you speak to us today? we have come from all over many people have come from out of state to be here we have come from our churches we have come from our homes we have come blessed but challenged and some of us are here today with our struggles and our burdens uh, cognizant of our spiritual weakness very aware of our lack Uh, uh, many of us, we have stared our failings in the face already today. And so as we are here, Lord, we pray that this place would be for all of us a theater of your divine grace. We believe there is power in your word. So would you, Lord, today unleash that power in our lives, hearts, minds, we pray. Be merciful to the sinful human instrument through which you have chosen to speak today I ask that the limitations of fallen humanity would not prevent you from accomplishing what you want to accomplish today bless us all now Lord we pray in Jesus name please say with me amen please would you open your Bible to 1st Kings and chapter 10 Kings chapter 10 and when you get to 1 Kings chapter 10, you will begin with me in verse 1. First Kings chapter 10 and verse 1, and then we will quickly hasten on a pace. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. It's interesting. We don't know where Sheba was. I've been in Zimbabwe. People said it was here, Zimbabwe. Some say Sheba was in Ethiopia. Someone said to me last, just last week, Sheba was in Yemen. I had some Yemeni people tell me the queen of Sheba came from Yemen. What we know for sure is that she was the queen of Sheba and that she came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. Verse 10. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, and of spices, very great store, and precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And the navy of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir brought in from Ophir great plenty of almug trees and precious stones. Verse 14, now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year, interestingly enough, was 600, three score, and six talents of gold, 666. What do you do with all that gold? If you were to calculate the value of that gold at today's gold price, which is somewhere hovering around 1,300 or 1,400 uh, dollars per ounce, six a 16 ounces in a pound a talent assuming that a talent was what we think it was somewhere in the vicinity of 70 pounds and this brother was getting what 666 talents of gold a year he would have had to have had his own fort knox what do you do with that kind of gold well king solomon chose to do numerous things including in verse 16 the manufacture Of 200 targets of beaten gold. 600 uh, 600 shekels of gold went to one talent. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three pounds of gold went to one shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. There's a conservationist lurking deep within me that doesn't much like verse 18 moreover the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold can you imagine this kind of wealth all that gold flooding into jerusalem every year to the extent that solomon decided that in order to utilize some of this gold he would simply make ornaments Out of much of it. And so, what was this that led to Solomon being such a successful merchant in precious metals? Were you to look back to 1 Kings chapter 9, you would read where God spoke to Solomon and he said, If you would be faithful, I will bless you. Now, we've got to be careful with that. We don't want to make the mistake of trying to buy the favor of gold, trying to to procure God's blessing through the, the giving of our means or the doing of our deeds. We don't give to get, but we know that in giving we receive. In fact, it's in the giving that we receive the most. But then God is so gracious, so merciful, He figures that if you are responsible enough with your means to support Jesus on prophecy, if you would say, I will forsake a meal out. We won't buy that new car this year. I'll buy a second-hand car instead. That will free up money that I can put into the Lord's work. If you have that kind of responsibility about you, God may well say, here, have more money because I perceive that you are likely to use it in the best of ways. By the way, when the devil sees that we are tight-fisted and closed-hand and we have very shallow pockets, it may well be that your material blessings are coming from the devil, who knows that with more of this he may drown you. And so let's be careful. God promises faithfulness and we want to be faithful. It is all his, not just the first 10%, not just the first 10% and whatever you are predisposed to give as offering. It is all God's. Can you say amen? amen? Your thoughts are God's. Your body is God's. Your talents are God's. And, when, and God said to Solomon, and by extension to you and me, if you are faithful, I will bless you. Solomon was faithful. Oh, and then he wasn't. But God, And then he was. But God blessed him in his faithfulness abundantly great wealth great blessing but god said to solomon if you are not faithful the consequences will be significant and we pick up the story in first kings chapter 14 and we discover that faithfulness turned into faithlessness pretty quickly 1 Kings 14 and verse 20, the days which Jeroboam reigned were two and twenty years, and he slept with his fathers, and Nadab, his son, reigned in his stead. Meanwhile, on the other side of the fence, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 17 years in Jerusalem. The city which the Lord did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Nehemiah. She was an Ammonitess. And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they had committed above all that their fathers had done. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says resist the devil and he will do what? Now, that word resist is not a passive word. It's an action word. It means you have to take some initiative. It means you've got to be alert. It means you've got to be watchful. It means you've got to be faithful. It means you've got to be diligent. We are, listen, Israel went from the height of blessing to the depths of vile misery almost overnight. You are going to see what happened in a span of just five years. Five years. Five years. We aren't to watch and then look out upon the city and say, is not this great Adventism which I have built? Great movements have come and gone. I'd encourage you to think about Wales. You know, there were great revivals in the coal mines in Wales. You go back a hundred or so years, maybe a little more. Great revivals. Go there now. And churches are being retrofitted and used as pubs and houses and there are a few people darkening the doors of the church in Wales. And, and you all are thinking, Wales, really? It wasn't long ago and England was alive and pulsating and throbbing with love for God and the preaching of the gospel. Not now. It is a very short distance between blessing and people choosing to run out from underneath that blessing. The future for us is guaranteed only in Christ Only as we cling to Jesus, we cannot afford to let our God down. Now, somebody said the Bible doesn't need to be defended. It's like a lion. Let it loose and it'll defend itself. That may be so, but your heart must be, your mind must be, your family must be, your home must be, your faith must be, your church must be. It's not far from faithfulness to faithlessness, and we're about to see this. Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, verse 23. For they built them high places and images and groves on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also sodomites in the land. And they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Can you imagine? There they were in Egypt, in heathen, atheistic Egypt. Atheistic Egypt. Let my people go. Who is the Lord, Pharaoh said. That's where they were. But God preserved his people down there in slavery. Let my people go. I'm not doing that. Oh, yes, I am. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, I am. And finally, God sent a plague that got even Pharaoh's attention. And the Red Sea opened up. And they left that disgusting place behind. And they were heading towards the promised land. They saw the plagues come down, 10 of them. They knew that they had been protected from, 7 of them. They saw the pillar of fire. They saw the pillar of cloud. They saw Pharaoh's, even his own family members and his cattle, Dropped like flies. They saw the Egyptians' bodies littering the landscape. Off they went. The sea opened up. They walked through thinking, man, only God can do this. God is surely with us. God said, come on now. I'm going to get you down there to the promised land. Eventually, they got to the promised land. God said, "I'm I'm going to move in there like hornets and chase out these people these sinners, these wicked ones. And no sooner had they settled in the promised land than they began to imitate the uh, practices and the customs of the heathen. Friend of God, God has called us to be in the world. He has not called us to be of the world. He has not. And when Christ comes into your heart, The things of the world grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That's how it ought to be. I had somebody tell me one day, John, my mission is to show lost people that we are just like them. Wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. God's mission is to show that the Christian who's been saved by grace is not just like the lost. And it seems to have been overnight. Admittedly, it was a long night, but it seems to have been overnight that God's people got tangled up with the sin, with the practices, with the habits and the customs of the lost people that God had chased out of the promised land. What were they thinking? And it came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord. Interesting, isn't it? When they left the promised land, God gave Israel favor with the Egyptians. And it's as though they plundered the Egyptians. They took the gold and, the, and whatnot. In fact, when they built the sanctuary, where did that gold come from? It was Egyptian gold. They brought it with them out of Egypt. And here they were watching an Egyptian king say, I'll take that back now. They lost all of that. What does it indicate? It means, it shows us, it demonstrates they had lost the blessing of God through faithlessness. God said, I'll bless you. Now, he said, you've made it impossible for me to bless you. And by the way, this is not a capricious God who says, I have changed my mind. This is us putting roadblocks between us and God to the extent that God says, I would if I could. But you have made it so that I cannot. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house he even took away all and he took away all the shields of gold which solomon had made that was a good day at the office for shishak king of egypt millions of dollars worth of gold taken just like that those are just the shields What about all that gold that Solomon had in Fort Knox? Taken. Just like that. You know something. There are times that you will substitute one thing for another. You might substitute butter for margarine. Hmm? You might substitute Coke for seven. uh, No, you wouldn't do that. You might substitute Coke for water, amen. You might substitute Ford for Chevrolet. Now, uh, uh, man, this could be just about the most uh, offensive thing I could say, depending on where I am. But you might do something like that, because at the end of the day, a car is a car is a car is a car. You might substitute your New Balance shoes for Puma, or Puma for New Balance, And you know that at the end of the day, it's a matter of preference ultimately because they're all made to pretty much the same standard. You might substitute, you you know what I'm talking about. And I don't mean an imitation, although there are some substitutes you just wouldn't want to make. You wouldn't want to substitute a good home-cooked meal for a night at McDonald's. You wouldn't want to do that. You wouldn't want, well, you might want, on holiday abroad and you see a $20 imitation Rolex watch, and you think to yourself, I wonder if I could just wear that to the office next Monday morning. And you buy that $20 imitation Rolex watch, and the kind man doesn't say anything about you getting a good deal, you special friend, this good price. And you put on your wrist and you think to yourself, oh, look at that. And you wear it back to the hotel. You walk through. You walk through the foyer with your sleeves rolled up. 22 degrees below zero outside, you put on a T-shirt so you can show off your watch. But the watch stops. You tap it, and the glass falls off. The hands fall off. The paint wears off. Strap falls off. Uh, we got somebody who did something like that back here in 1 Kings chapter 14. Because this was not substituting Fred Meyer for Super Walmart. This was a colossal blunder. You read here in verse 26 he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king's house. He took even a all away, he took away all the shields of gold which Solomon had made, but Rehoboam knew what to do. It says in verse 27 that King Rehoboam made in their stead brazen shields, shields of brass or bronze, and committed them unto the hands of the chief of the guard which kept the door of the king's house. And it was so, When the king went into the house of the Lord, that the guard bare them and brought them back into the guard chamber. Now, Rehoboam had these tokens of the blessing of God, shields of pure solid gold lining the walls of this beautiful building. When they were taken, Rehoboam didn't want to admit to anybody That God's blessing had been removed. So rather than leaving the walls bare, bereft of any decoration at all, he commissioned the manufacture of shields made out of brass, copper essentially, mixed with either tin or some other metal. Copper is not gold, bronze is not gold. Ask any gold medal winner at the Olympic Games. You never did, you know, Oshkosh is coming up and you know what's going to happen. People are going to be like, hey, I got two of these, uh, 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 what are those things you call them? Pins. I got two pins here from the Pathfinder Club from Lansing. And so I'll give you one Lansing for a Kalamazoo. Oh, no, wait a minute. You're from overseas. It's going to take more to get your overseas pin. You know how that goes. You never did see after the Olympic Games had been run. The athletes back there in the changing shed or the locker room said, listen, i got a gold. I'll give you a gold for two bronze. Would you do that? Gold is not bronze. Bronze does not denote victory. It denotes third. That means you lost. You did not win. The shields of brass demonstrated that Rehoboam had lost. He was a loser. He did not win. The blessing of God was not upon him. Come into my house, look at my shields. Rehoboam, what are they made out of? (coughs) They're made out of, they're made out of, uh, (coughs) what do you ask anyway? I remember being here five years ago, six years ago. Seems like they have changed. There were beautiful shields of gold there once upon a time, but now there are shields of Brass. Rehoboam, what's going on? Rehoboam is thinking in his heart, I wish he had not asked. Rehoboam is thinking in his heart, the gold was stolen by Shishak, the king of Egypt, in its place, not wanting to demonstrate that we have lost the blessing of God. We have hung shields of brass, a poor imitation. Recognizing that we do not possess the blessing of God, recognizing that Rehoboam's A monarchy was fraudulent in as much as he had been called to honor God and lead his people in the honor of God. He was not doing that anymore. Shields of brass, they were shields of failure. They were shields of shame. They were shields of, I don't have the genuine article. And I would like you to stop and think today about what is hanging in the hall of your heart. What are those shields made out of? spiritually we can make the most baffling kinds of substitutions sometimes there are those who trade the word of God for tradition there are those who hang up the church and embrace instead the world a godless life worshiping the world and making gods of money and things and pleasure if you were to stop and do a moral inventory ask yourself what the shields are made of Does God have your heart? There are those who choose to reject the righteousness of God and satisfy themselves with self-righteousness, which is no righteousness at all. This is a problem. See it with me in Philippians chapter 3. Let's go to where our scripture reading came from. Philippians and chapter 3, the apostle Paul speaks here. Philippians chapter 3, we kick it off in verse 4, 3, 2, 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware, he says, of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. These were people who would sneak into the church and draw people away and drag people backwards, I would say to you today. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the concision. We are marching upward to Zion. For goodness sake, don't march backwards in the direction where some would have you go. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in who? Christ Jesus, but notice what he says, and we have no confidence in the flesh. And then he says this, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof more, that he might trust in the flesh, sorry, if any other man thinks that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. You think your works are good? Paul says, mine are better. Verse 5, circumcised. The eighth day, that's the right day. Of the stock of Israel, that's the right nation. Of the tribe of Benjamin, right tribe. Inasmuch as King Saul, who Paul was likely named after originally, King Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin. These were bragging rights for the apostles, should he choose them as such. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law... A Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. If he were living today, he might say, I kept the seventh day Sabbath. I was part of the church that had the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. When it came to my diet, I was careful. When it came to how I dressed, I made sure I had everything right. You would always find me in Sabbath school speaking up. I would always be there ready to take up the offering. Whenever there was something to do, I would be there to do it. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those things. But notice where Paul goes with this. He says in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted, lost for Christ. And now he explains why he is saying this. Nothing wrong with too many of those things, although I don't think we would uh, uh, speak too highly of persecuting the church. Yea, doubtless, he says in verse 8, And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, some Bibles say refuse. I think this is stronger. Count them but dung, that I may win who? All right, listen, ladies and gentlemen, he is talking to us about the tendency that lurks somewhere within all of us to trust to our works, our deeds, our doings, instead of trusting to Christ for righteousness. Now, should, deeds, should good deeds be present in a person's life? Yes, they should, not as the root of salvation however but as the fruit of salvation and this is Paul speaking whose practice was to trust in his own good deeds and believe that he could somehow work his way to heaven and at the end of the day say I am all right with God because I tithe and I eat right and I do this and I got the right day and I got something else and he writes this entire book essentially to disabuse people of the idea that they can trust in anything for salvation other than Christ. Again, we've got to be very careful that we get the tension right. You know, a, a piano only ever sounds good when the tension is right. And that's true of the gospel too. There's a certain tension between faith and works. Of course, we understand they work in harmony just perfectly. But you can easily veer too far one way or too far the other. Paul, however, was careful to get it right down the middle. This brother was balanced. He would talk about living a godly life, but his hope for salvation was only in Jesus. As we sang earlier, on Christ the solid rock I stand. My hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. Paul goes on, and this is what he says, that I may win Christ, verse 9, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. You see where Paul goes with this. He is telling us today that it is important for us to trust solely in Jesus for our salvation there is only one way that a person can be saved we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ there is none other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved when we deviate from that Bible truth even in the slightest degree we tear up the emancipation proclamation and we declare that we are slaves slaves to ourselves Slaves to our works in drudgery trying to work our way to heaven. We cannot have that. Self is a tyrannical master. When we reckon that our deeds are meritorious for salvation, we are in a disastrous form of spiritual bondage. Remember what Paul said. No, no, you can't have righteousness from the law. He rejected that in favor of that which is through the faith of Christ Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. There are two extremes that we need to avoid. Now, it is said in old mythology, the, the, this thing between Sicily and one other place, I should tell you this, but I forget. A narrow body of water. It was said that a, a, a sea creature... Uh, inhabited one side of the body, if you got too close to the rocks over here, and another sea creature inhabited the other side of the little strait there. One was called Scylla and one was called Charybdis. And if you went too far one side or too far to the other, you were gotten either by Scylla or Charybdis. And it's true theologically as well. You got to stay away from from the Scylla of lazy liberalism. That thing that says, you know it's okay because Jesus did it all and all I got to do is believe in him and nothing else really matters. The challenge with that is there's a great deal of truth in that. It all depends on your definition. But I'm talking about the people who say, what do you mean? What do you you mean there's a problem with this glass of wine? My salvation has nothing to do with wine. It has to do with Jesus. Well, as the former pastor of my local church once said, "It's, it's all salvational. You know, somebody says, well, this isn't a matter of salvation. He'd like to say, it's all a matter of salvation because everything that flows out in your life is a reflection of where you are with Jesus. You understand? And so this person who says, I don't care about the Sabbath. Yeah, of course we go out to eat on the Sabbath. My question is, what part of remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy are you failing to understand? I just don't get that. And if I'm treading on your toes, I'm really glad about that because if somebody doesn't, They're going to tread on your toes a whole lot harder in hell. It's God's. I'm not talking about being a legalist. We'll get to that in a moment. But you don't want to be one of these lazy folks who say, oh, no, no, my hope is in Jesus, and therefore how I live is of little consequence. It's of every consequence. The fact of the matter is, when Jesus comes into your life, If he's got you, he's going to keep you out of the rough over here and out of the long grass over there. He will, because Jesus will guide you in his direction. You don't want to be one of these lazy folks over here who really, at the end of the day, simply wants to do what you want to do and hope you can get away with it in the eyes of God. But over here, we talk about the scylla of liberalism. and People go, oh, I don't like using those labels, liberal and, and conservative. I do. I think they work. If you've got better labels, let me know. You want to stay away from the scylla of lazy liberalism and also from the charybdis of cranky conservatism. Now, it's all right if you want to get around smelling like garlic. I have no problem with that. If you want to live your life a certain way, that's fine. But you must not think for a moment that because you munch on whole cloves of garlic somehow that makes you holier than somebody else. You must not think that your veganism somehow got you out of hell and into heaven. I say that as a vegan. The minute you start to think that you're better than what you used to be, or you now have favor in the sight of God, you know, you, you, you can't be one of these people who count their almonds and feel like if they eat one too many, they have offended God. God. You know, John Bunyan wrote in Pilgrim's Progress, heaven is cheap enough. Someone later quoted that and and, and used it in some, I think, very good writings. Man, there are some of us who want to take heaven cheap and make it as expensive as possible. I'm not happy just claiming the righteousness of Christ and growing as a happy Christian. Give me a feast day to keep. Give me somebody to argue with. Give me a cross to bear. No, no, a heavy, no, a really heavy one. Now again, you want to live with as much integrity before God as you can. Jesus did not say, if you love me, maybe you'll think about keeping my commandments. He said, you will, because you love me. You will not be satisfied with falling short. But that's in the context of being secure in your salvation, which comes to you not by works of righteousness, which we have done. We are saved by grace, Alone, through faith, alone, in Christ, alone, only Jesus can save you. And you got to know today, Jesus can save you. He will save you as you are. But thank God He loves you so much, He won't leave you as you are. Behold, I make all things new, God says. And He wants to do a new thing in us. Would you say amen today? No, how we live our lives matters sure it does as a response to what God has done in our lives you know when you stop and think about the plan of salvation it's just too simple Jesus died we believe that and that belief is credited to us for righteousness it's that simple it just is my brother my sister don't make it any harder than it has to be the hard work was done at the cross Jesus died for you and me and now we embrace that cross of Jesus and the power of Jesus starts flowing through your life Robert McSweeney when I was about 11 years old invited me to come and spend a weekend on his dairy farm I lived in a town surrounded by dairy farms it's cows and horses as far as you can see And we went for a walk along the track that the race I believe it was called on the McSweeney dairy farm And Robert said I got a good idea for you Why don't you grab hold of that electric fence? And I said, no, man. I might I might live in the town, but I'm not stupid. I'm not. And he walked over and grabbed it. He said, look at this. It's no problem. If you would just grab hold of the electric fence, it and then you'll be able to tell everybody at school. You held an electric fence. And Robert held this thing for about 30 or 40 seconds. <laughs> I walked up to the electric fence. I said, just grab it, left hand, if I, I remember. That dirty dog did not tell me that he had grabbed hold of a wire that was not electrified. It felt like I had been kicked by a giraffe. Boom. When you grab hold of Jesus... His power is going to flow through your life. It will affect you. It will impact you. It will change you. It will make you what you can never make yourself. It's what happens. You grab Jesus and his life starts flowing through you. Rehoboam, come and see my bronze. He's walking around that palace feeling pleased with himself when he realizes He understands fully that the shields of brass represent unfaithfulness. So, ladies and gentlemen, it does not take long to fall when you turn out of God's pathway. You and I could both talk about person after person with sadness, I would hope. Where are they now? Where are they years later? You'll go through the ABC, particularly when they're having a, a sale of old books and you pick it up. You go, I remember that guy. I knew him before he left the church. He wrote books that people bought. He went to camp meetings and spoke. He even signed books for people who admired his authorship. And now only God knows what he's doing. Like Rehoboam, people everywhere settle for shields of brass. Is that what you're doing? Are you skating by saying, well, you know, I go to church and and, and hoping that that's enough? You don't want to have just enough. When I was in the 10th grade, we had external examinations that would get you into the 11th grade. Or keep you in the 10th grade. And I'd always been pretty much near the top of my class. And they made a mistake, though, at high school. When I got into, uh, what would you call that here? Call it 10th grade. When I went to high school, they made a mistake of putting a bunch of the bright kids in the same class. Thinking they would spur each other on to academic uh, achievement. Not realizing that we spurred each other on to academic oblivion. We were just there for a good time. I sat down. In my school certificate English class, realizing that 10 or 11 years of schooling were, were, were boiled down to this one moment. And if I failed this class, this, this exam, and there was a very good chance I might, I would have to repeat uh, the fifth form, what, as what we called it back then. And I looked at that paper and I thought, I hope they give me extra credit for spelling my name right, because I am in big trouble. English was always the first exam. I thought, how hard it can, can it be? I've been speaking the language all my life. English, it turned out, was the easy one. But I managed to skate by 61. All you had to do was get 50. That's all. 50 was a pass. That's pretty gen- generous, isn't it? 61, 58, 57, 55, and 52. It was just enough to get by. But you know something, ladies and gentlemen? Salvation does not work that way. You don't do just enough to skate by. There's no 50, 51, 52. There is saved and there is lost. Because we're not saved on a gradation of our brilliance. We are saved on the basis of the righteousness of Christ. And therefore, it's either 100% or 0 You either have Jesus or you don't. It's one or the other. There are thousands of ways that the devil attempts to to veer a person out of the path of what's right. Let me share a tricky one with you. That's academics. There are some people who study themselves to the place where they think that they are smarter than God. We Adventist ministers, we had a little bit of a disadvantage because we have been mandated by God to tell you what you already know. Our job is simply to tell you the old, old story. That's all. That's all. But that's not enough for some people. Very first evangelistic series I held. I preached about the 2,300 days. I believe that, by the way. I hope you do too. I believe it. I believe it. man came to me afterwards and said, You know I used to believe what you just taught tonight. I said, used to? What happened? I think, honestly, Desmond Ford is what happened. I think. But he did not tell me that. He said, well, you know, I studied and I I, I found new light on the subject. I said, wow, you have to be a very, very intelligent man. I did not have the gift of diplomacy then. You have to be a very intelligent man. He said, well, you know, I am a physician. I said, no, no, so much more intelligent than that. He said, why do you say that? I said, because what I spoke on tonight was believed by James White and Uriah Smith and John Loughborough and Jane Andrews and Ellen White and the General Conference President. Evidently, you are smarter than all of them. You must be an intelligent man. And he said... And I said, God, God bless you. Realized it was time for me to get out of there. <laughs> when you get smarter than God, when you get smarter than the Biblical Research Institute, when you get smarter than all those people that went before us, when you get smarter than the Bible commentary, when you get smarter than the Bible, you have made a God of your academic brilliance. And if you do that, the sad thing is you are not alone because it happens way too often. It's sad. You know, not all gold is gold. Some gold is not gold, instead it's iron pyrite. We call that fool's gold. Other people that make a god of their wealth, they do so without even realizing. And I'm not against wealth. God absolutely isn't against wealth. And if you've got wealth, that's fantastic. But if wealth has got you, that's a challenge. It's a difficult thing, man, when you've got all these concerns and cares and investments and all of that. You ask somebody who's wealthy and they will tell you, "It's got to be careful what you wish for. But if God blesses you or allows these things to come, pray that they don't lead you away from the pathway of God. They don't have to. There are many fabulously wealthy people who are very faithful to God, and God bless them. God bless them. There are many people today who assume that because they keep the Sabbath, because they haven't killed anyone, because they have not committed adultery, that they must be righteous. Because I went to a church school, I graduated from Great Lakes Adventist Academy, and then went to Andrews, somehow that qualifies me to go to heaven. You know something, my brother, my sister? There is no such thing as a cultural Christian. There's just not. You're either the genuine believer, pressing on, yielding your heart to God, learning from your mistakes, growing in grace, or you're lost. It's one or the other. The difference isn't how smart you are, how clever you are, how wise you are, how white you are, how black you are, how old you are, how young you are. The difference is Jesus. Do you have Christ, and does he have you? Paul looked at what he considered, what everyone would consider as his good attributes, and he said, I consider them to be no better than dung. That's all it's for. No good. In terms of getting me to heaven, these things, he said, are worthless. Righteousness involves a lot. It's not just saying the right words, making the right movements, doing all the right external things. There's no question that righteousness is right doing. I have believe that, and I, I've read it, and I believe it. But I think we could go a little bit further, or maybe express it in these words, and say that righteousness is right being. Because when it comes to righteousness, Paul raises the bar. And he speaks about having the righteousness of God. Now that makes people nervous. They look at themselves and they say, how can I say that? Well, I'm telling you how you can say it. Paul said it. You just believe it. If you don't want to say it, don't say it. But believe it. You may have the righteousness of God. We get nervous. We say, me, a sinner? Really? How how complete is this righteousness of God? It's pretty complete. It's complete righteousness. It's perfect righteousness. It's sufficient righteousness. A person asked me a question during a recent It Is Written evangelistic series. They said, does a person have to be perfect before they're baptized? What's the answer? You're wrong. That was easy. Okay, before a person is baptized, what fundamental foundational thing must they do? Before baptized, that person must accept Jesus right surrender got it surrender your heart and accept jesus as your lord and savior are we agreed so far all right so when you accept jesus he takes away your sin and he gives you his what kind of righteousness so when a person is baptized and they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and he places in them his righteousness and removes their sins, how would you describe that person in the sight of God? Don't be afraid to use the word. Would you call the person, would you say that that person has grown yet to his or her full limit? No, you wouldn't because they're going to develop and grow and grow and develop. And sanctification is the work of a what? Lifetime. That's right. But when you come to Christ, my sister, if his righteousness isn't perfect and complete and if you don't have it, oh my goodness. No wonder you're counting your almonds because you don't trust that Jesus is enough for salvation. He is. You can be found in him. Do you think when Paul wrote Philippians that he had done all the growing that he needed to do? I don't think so. Moses got this close to the promised land. He was breathing air that blew over from the promised land. And yet he sinned against God. Now he was sorry. It's a one-off. It was, it was out of character. But it demonstrates that even Moses had growing left to do. Are you with me? Come on, don't sell God short. He will grow you, grow you, grow you, grow you. And don't sell salvation short. You come to Jesus, you have grabbed the electric fence of faith. And Jesus is running through you now. And you will never be the same again. And you will forget the things that are behind. And you will press on. You will press on. And you will press on. And when somebody says, do you have the gift of salvation? You can say, yes, Because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. In on Christ, the solid rock I stand. I'm not settling for brass, man. You're not getting me to say, oh, well, I I hope today that I find Jesus. I hope today that I have salvation. Something wrong with a person if they cannot say, I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I might not be what I'm going to be tomorrow. But I thank God I'm not what I used to be yesterday. Jesus has me. He is growing me. I'm hanging on to him. And one day like Enoch, Jesus and I, we're going to take a walk together. We're going to leave this land and walk all the way to heaven. Christ will get us there. What are you relying on today, my friend? You can rely on and trust in Jesus. He is your shield of gold. Yes, we know it. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. This is why we must have Jesus. My goodness, my works, my holiness. If it's mine, it's worth nothing in the sight of God. It's not that our righteousnesses aren't good things. I mean, it's better to bite your tongue than cuss. No question about that. It's simply that our righteousnesses cannot merit favor with God at all, cannot earn our salvation. Our best is not good enough for heaven. But Christ, man, that's the gold right there. Adam and Eve were there. Our, your, your grandparents, your, no, yours, there they were in the Garden of Eden. You know, it's really interesting, isn't it? When you see pictures depicting Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they're always naked, which is actually inaccurate. we got to do something about that. They were clothed, weren't they? What were they clothed with? Robe of light. Uh, one of my kids, I think it was, said to me, uh, The Garden of Eden, the land of strategically placed plants. (laughs) Adam and Eve, what did they do? They were humans. They could only do one thing. The light disappeared. They realized they were naked. They said, we've got to do something about this. And they went and found a fig tree and plucked off leaves and sewed together uh, garments made of fig leaves the joke was on them have you seen what happens to a fig leaf when you pull it off the tree and leave it out in the sun for a while they could not have been comfortable after about the first 30 minutes but what were they doing they were trying to remedy their own lack they were covering up their own lack they were trying to do something themselves about their sin they were saying we're okay we are clothed because we have clothed ourselves And God must have, no, no, that won't do. And what did God do? He provided skins. Where do those skins come from? They came from animals. Something had to die so that they could be clothed. Someone had to die so we could be clothed. And when we are clothed through the death of Christ, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Adam and Eve needed something, but it was something they could not originate themselves. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. We cannot be good enough through our own efforts. We cannot. And when we think we can, we invariably either end up miserable or lying to ourselves and other people. Or maybe we invent a theology to cover up our spiritual failure. The solution for our unrighteous state is the righteousness of Jesus. How do we get it? You claim it. That's all. You can't buy it. You cannot pay for it. You don't deserve it. You cannot earn it. But you can believe it. Abraham believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness. How do I know my sins are forgiven? Because I have confessed them. I have repented and I believe. I'm not waiting for that confirmation email from God. I got it already. It's here in the Bible. If we confess, He is faithful and just to forgive us and, thank God, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My brother, my sister, are you believing today that Christ's death was for you? Are you believing today that Christ's righteousness becomes your own, yours? So that when God sees you, He sees you clothed in Christ's righteousness. But John, I don't deserve it. you got to get over that. We know you don't deserve it, but you can have it anyway, freely, given you by God. Christianity is the most hopeful faith on the planet, and Adventists ought to be the most hopeful of the hopeful. We know Jesus as our personal Savior. We accept His righteousness by faith. We believe it. We believe it. What happens if I sin tomorrow? A lady said to me, can't be baptized. I said, why not? She said, I'm worried. What are you worried about? I'm worried that after I'm baptized, I'm going to sin. I said, you're worried about that? She said, I'm worried. You think you're going to sin? She said, I think I'm going to sin. I said, I have news for you. What's that? I guarantee that you're going to sin. That's why you need to be baptized. Are you finished growing? Are you Enoch? Somehow are you Elijah, ready for translation? No, you're growing. Baby Christians do what babies do. Grow up. One day you'll be an adolescent Christian. Oh my goodness, that, f- forget that. One day you'll be a young adult Christian. You're going to grow, lady. You're going to grow. You, you need to be baptized. Baptism is you saying... I can't do this. I must have Jesus. So you're going to go down the water. The old you, we're going to bury that person. And you're going to come up. The first thing you're going to do is grab Jesus. Don't let him go. Walk with Christ. Your trust, your hope, your righteousness is in Jesus. Amen. We have a high priest in heaven. Jesus, the divine son of God. And he's there for us. He's not there against us. If you can't leave here today knowing that God has forgiven you, knowing that you have the, right, the perfect righteousness of Christ, because it can't be any other kind. If you can't leave here today certain that God has taken away your sins and given you the gift of eternal life, don't leave. It's dangerous out there. Just stay. Just stay. You can just tell people that you, you're getting a good seat for their evening program. Don't go, you can't afford to go anywhere. You want to go out there without the righteousness of Christ? Without the security of salvation? Without believing that you belong to Him and Jesus belongs to you? Without believing in your heart that Christ's death atones for you? Without believing that in the judgment you have a friend who is for you and not against you? Without believing that you are a child of God? Come on, those are shields of gold God wants to hang in the hall of your heart. The assurance that in spite of yourself, in spite of what you've done, in spite of where you've been, God's love is rich towards you. God loves you and will save you. This does not mean you're going to be lackadaisical about your experience now. Because when you know that Jesus died for you, you will love him and you will live for him and you will grow in him. Friend, are we trusting in Jesus today or are we not? What are those shields made of? God prepares for us shields of gold. Think with me about Revelation chapter 3, where God, where Jesus speaks directly to you and me, where he speaks to the church of Laodicea. And he says, starting in verse 15, I know thy works. That thou art neither cold nor hot. And then one of the most remarkable, frankly, counterintuitive things that you'll ever read in all the Bible. And I don't say that as hyperbole. Jesus says, I wish that you were either cold or hot. Now, that's a stunning thing for the Savior to say. Hot, that would be all on. Right? So cold, therefore, would be what? Heart would be all the way for Jesus, and cold would be dead set against him. And Jesus says, I wish you were that or that. If you can't be this, be this. Because evidently there's a state that's worse than being all against Jesus. What might that be? He says, so then because you are lukewarm, lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. And if you don't mind me being agricultural for a moment... Uh, To vomit is not a voluntary action. There's not a single person who says, you know, I just feel like. A person vomits when they, it's not something you can stop. When it comes, it comes. And Jesus is saying, this isn't something I can stop. I'm spewing you out of my mouth because I have no choice. He says, Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And you don't know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's a disastrous state to be in. But Jesus speaks to his end time church and he says, that's what I see. If the book of Revelation ended right about there, we would be of all people most miserable. But it doesn't. What does Jesus say is the remedy? Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me what? Gold tried in the fire. Instead of brass, instead of self-righteousness and sin and trying and failing, Jesus says, I have gold for you, which someone with great wisdom once said represents faith that works by love. I want you to buy gold from me, Jesus says, so that you may be rich. And I have for you white raiment, that you may be clothed. That represents the righteousness of Christ. That the shame of your nakedness does not appear. Anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Jesus says, your, hope, your, your case is not hopeless even though he describes us in what appears to be disastrous terms, he says, I have something for you. Gold, the righteousness of Christ, and the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you today and, 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 and just have you check in your heart and see what's hanging there. Is it gold or is it brass? Are they shields of gold that hang in the halls of your heart? Or are they shields of brass? Do something for me. Would you stand wherever you are? Could you do that, please? I would appreciate that. He's going to give you a chance just to stretch a little bit. And there's a reason I'm asking you to stand. And that's this. Undoubtedly, there's somebody here today who realizes that their experience is not the real thing. It's brass and not gold. And you'd like to do something about that people have asked me what difference does it make if i walk down to the front you know there's something powerful that happens when you follow the leading of the holy spirit when god calls you and you say i'm going there's something powerful you reflect on that at lunchtime and you can say i've made a decision i acted on that decision god called me i heard him and i acted on that decision today there are people who want to act on that decision listen to what i'm asking you today if everything is okay between you and god then i am making a special request stay where you are unless you want to bring someone with you down to the front today but if today you can look in your heart and say I have been experiencing a third-rate Christian experience I've been going through the motions I have not laid everything on the altar I'm inviting you to come today my good friend Scott Bennett is going to sing and as he does Jesus is inviting you to accept from him the gold the white raiment and the powerful gift of the Holy Spirit today friend would you tell Jesus I surrender everything to you everything and I want to have that real experience if you're in the balcony and you want to come down there's time we'll wait if you're in the back behind the glass come don't wait is Jesus calling you I'm not asking you if you just want to make a general recommitment to Jesus today listen carefully if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus God wants you to do that right now, and I invite you to come. If you've been walking with Jesus, but you wandered far away, God is calling you back. Would you come back today? Salvation is simple. You come back to Jesus, and He accepts you just as you are. And His Spirit will work in you to make you what you could never be. Not because you are good, but because He is good. Friend, can you respond to Christ's invitation today as Scott sings, would you respond and come forward today and bring your heart to Jesus knowing that He accepts you as His child.
1: All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will never love and trust Him. presence daily
0: Want you to be confused by what I'm asking you so I'm going to spell this out we have spoken today about the necessity of having a genuine relationship with Jesus where we are not casual and careless and where we are not leaning on our own selves in order to be righteous enough to go to heaven where we make room in our heart for Jesus to bring his righteousness and his perfection and his ability and his power if you're not experiencing that today I invite you to come And by so doing, you are telling Jesus, that's what I want. I want a genuine experience today. I'm not trying to be nebulous about this. What I'm saying is if you arrived here today, and you know that everything between you and God is just fine, and I'm asking you to stay where you are and pray, you might choose to go to somebody and say, why don't you come down the front with me? I'll take you there. You can do that. You'd be a blessing to somebody if you did that. But I'm asking you today for honesty. You know today that you've been going through the motions, playing the game. You might be somebody who's in church every week, but you know that your heart is not connected to the heart of God. Would you bring that heart to Jesus today and know that He unites your weakness with His strength and He makes you new. If you've never accepted Jesus, this is the best opportunity you will have ever had in your entire life to do so, because it's now. I'm inviting you to come. If you've wandered far away from God, but the Spirit of God led you to camp meeting, He led you here today, not only for the fellowship, but so that you could make an eternal decision for Jesus right now. Friend, how is it with you today? Don't settle for the brass. God wants to give you the gold. Would you take the gold of a true relationship with Jesus from Jesus today? As Scott continues to sing, God invites you not to stand where you are, but to come to jesus and surrender all to him today
1: all to jesus i surrender humbly at his feet i
0: would you would you come together press together press together oh, we're going to have people halfway up the aisle soon could you do that thank you I thought about praying here but I'm not going to because there are other people who need to come to Jesus today Now I'm not asking you to put on a show for somebody I'm certainly not asking you to do anything for me but would you remember that we're in the midst of a great controversy and anything less than a surrender to Jesus is just not going to get us there no, we cannot be saved by our works, we just cannot. But we all of us can be, must be saved through relying on, leaning on, and trusting in the righteousness of Jesus. My friend, don't think today that you are too bad for God to save. Don't think today that you've, you've failed so many times, you're, you're bound to fail again. Think today, believe today that Jesus died for you. And that he will do in you what you could never ever ever do in yourself where is your heart today I'm asking you to to, to perhaps make the most pivotal decision of your entire life particularly if you're one of those who, who, who Jesus would say I see wretchedness and misery and poverty and blindness and nakedness undoubtedly there are people here today if 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 we were honest with ourselves we'd say that's us but we have an opportunity to do something about it today and say god make me a christian take my heart we will have a closing prayer after scott sings one more verse of i surrender all if god is speaking to your heart Don't wait, leave today with the assurance of full salvation that Christ's righteousness is yours. Say to God in this moment, Lord, I surrender all. Let's pray our Father in heaven today. That's that's the prayer of our heart. We surrender all. Oh Lord, look in the halls of our hearts. What do you see? What are the shields made of? Poor old Rehoboam fooling himself, fooling everyone. But he wasn't fooling you. Heavenly Father, would you allow us to be more than just go to church once a week Christians? Would you give us a vibrant relationship with you? If we could build such a thing, we would build it. If we could manufacture such a thing, we'd have somebody manufacture it. All we can do is experience such a thing through faith in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful Bible truths you've given us. But don't let us be liars, not liars to ourselves. I believe this and therefore, thank you for the wonderful biblical standards that you've given us. We want to embrace them all. We've got growing to do. But Almighty God, don't let us rely on our standards and fool ourselves into thinking that we're putting on a good enough show to merit everlasting life instead dear lord connect us with yourself powerfully make us one with you and keep us lord if you don't do something in our lives we certainly cannot save ourselves and so we ask you to work in us both to will and to do for your good pleasure surely jesus is coming back soon and we must be ready and we must be yours so let it be so father these who've come forward today have come forward either for themselves or with somebody the prayer of their heart is lord give me the gold give me a genuine experience we are all tired of up and down connect us to yourself Father, where we're not taking the time to pray. Arrange it in our lives. Give us the grace to make the right decisions. Work it out so we can connect with you in prayer. If we've been neglecting the feeding on your word, it's time, Lord, for you to work that out in our lives so that every day we are feeding and growing and strengthening because of what your word is doing in us. And where we have been too timid to believe, too faithless to believe. Give us grace today to be like Abraham, people of faith, to believe that Jesus died for me, to believe that He clothes me in His righteousness, to believe that He loves me. And then, Lord, would you allow temptation to grow small as salvation grows large to be a great defender in our lives, to fight back the forces of darkness. Blessed Father, we thank you today that Jesus is all. We thank you that he is enough. Now continue to grow us. Where we see difficulties in our experience, don't let us be discouraged and said, let us bring them to you and surrender them to you. Give us uh, us grace to grow and continue to grow because one day soon the heavens will depart as a scroll jesus will be revealed riding down through the great corridors of space and we will say with all of the redeemed lo this is our god we have waited for him and he will save us this is the lord we will rejoice in him and be glad in his salvation We pray with John who wrote the book of Revelation. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Lord, we leave today believing. We leave today in faith. We go from this place rejoicing that we are the children of the God of heaven. We thank you. We love you. Help us to love you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Let all God's people say together, amen.